Signs of the Southland, Sunday, January 8th, 2023. Mr. Grant and Mr. Purdy, there's a very important game happening tomorrow night. That's right. Premier League leading Arsenal heads to Oxford United in the third round of the FA Cup. Catch the goddamn fever. I am excited. I'm not even an Arsenal fan. It's a, I guess, a London metro area derby. Get hype. Go for it. I don't know what half of those words mean. And this isn't just for the bit, like... We're gonna we're gonna learn you someday. We're we're gonna learn you someday. We're just all wearing um, purple tomorrow. We're just wearing purple tomorrow. Are we, or can we agree to that at least? Arsenal did have some purple kits back in the day. I agree with wearing purple personally. I'm not even an Arsenal fan. I'm very committed to this bit though. Um, <laughs> uh, Mr. Purdy, you have in here Wrexham. Because uh, they won explained. the FA Cup too, right? They're just a popular. They won their game and they versus... won a match they shouldn't have won. Yes, they beat Coventry City. I think it was like five four. It was all yeah, it was high scoring. But all you Ryan, very... all you Deadpool and Ryan Reynolds fans could be soccer fans today if you wanted to be, because his team is good. Sidebar: It's very funny that everyone forgets that Rob McElhaney is involved in that. Yeah, who cares? And about they him? made they made a joke in the show about this mm-hmm. that Many. everyone remembers the movie star but no one remembers the tv star rob is like a legitimate star in his own right but no one remembers that he's involved nope it, it's a very good bit it, it's a it's a very good bit um speaking of more good bits georgia tech football has added more good bits to brent key's new coaching staff uh, Marco Coleman is back at defensive line coach after a stint at Michigan State. Uh, Kevin Shearer, who is an NFL coach, was hired as co-defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. That is per Kelly Quinlan at Rivals. So uh, for the most part, the 10 on-field coach staff is complete now. I think technically this tweet from our friends at Rivals from Russell Johnson, lists 11, but I'll read it out in the spirit of giving. Head coach Brett Key, obviously. Uh, offense coordinator and tight ends coach Buster Faulkner. Quarterbacks coach Chris Winky, Running backs coach Norval McKenzie. Wide receivers coach Josh Crawford. Uh, offensive line coach Jeep Wade. Defensive coordinator Andrew Thacker. Co-defensive coordinator Kevin Shearer. We already talked about him. Marco Coleman, as previously discussed, DB's coach, Travaris Tillman, as previously, or as coming back from last year, and special teams coordinator, Jason Seymour. Reading this through now, I assume the head coach does not actually count towards the 10 on-field staff I do not number, that. and I felt feel very stupid for thinking that this list was wrong because it listed 11. Uh, Mr. Purdy, let's start with you. Do you have any thoughts on some of these on-field hires? Um, I mean, I'm not very informed in terms of who's a great down-the-line list of position coaches and stuff like that, um, but I remember just from the discussions we had offline that generally this we, we weren't – just the vibe was, okay, this is good. These are all good. Like, there's nothing here that would, like, make you scream, like, why is this guy here or anything like that, um, which I think that that is still a kind of the barometer of, like, where the football team is going. Is, is it as bad as it could have been beforehand? Um, and the, all this does not show that. So I think in that sense, we're good. Um, I like that someone's coming back to tech. Like they at least saw that it was worth it to come back and keep going here. Um, even from, I mean, Michigan state wasn't 
as hot as it could have been this year. I mean, they were looking to be good for a second and then weren't. Um, so yeah, that's I, I always like that if people are coming back because they want to be back at a at a good program like us, which hopefully will be great. Then yeah, that's fun. So good for Coleman, Mr. Grant. I, uh... I, I unboxed this take the other day in our group Slack, and I really think this is as much of an indictment of uh, Coach Coleman's thoughts on working with one Jeff Collins and uh, the career prospects associated with such. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that there for, for sake of not rehashing what is old. But, I mean, he's back. That's, uh, I, I, again, I, I thought it was a relatively well-managed uh, position group last year so you know that's a little odd but uh definitely think it is a uh, a statement on on jeff just as much as it is on brent or at least somewhat maybe not equal but certainly interesting yeah i i saw a couple of notes from people on discord a couple of different discords i'm in that they're pleased that brent is surrounding himself with experience coaching talent right like Kevin Shearer has a pretty long uh, career with a bunch of teams in the NFL um Marco Coleman obviously did a couple of that st- uh, is at Michigan State and at Tech um and then getting into some of the off-field hires right uh defensive assistant Brian Baker uh who actually coached Marco Coleman um back at Tech uh actually at not at Tech in the NFL um in the 80s and 90s um and the director of high school relations Tim McFarland who's a very experienced high school coach and with a lot of connections. So you're seeing Brent prioritize Brent and the athletic department. I I think both of them have equal responsibility here, prioritizing experience and some sort of like state of Georgia or tech connection in some of these hires. Um, And I think we saw more of the latter under Jeff Collins, but not a lot of the former until yeah. the until the very end, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. I mean, I, I mean, immediately once once Key got hired, and we were kind of aware that the fact he's from Tech was it was was not an insignificant factor in that he was able to get the job. I think the idea that that trend or that that part of someone's resume would continue to be something is, that would be a, continue to be a sticking point. Um, and the people that Key played with at this point would be of coaching age too. So it's like he's was a, he's he was around a lot of people from that early from that early two thousands late nineties era that are in that coaching stretch now or in their early coaching careers that are hoping to climb the ladder. So um, I think all that that all makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean it. It seems like what it, it mostly seems like it's what should have been done last time. <laughs> I know that probably sounds a little silly. Oh, I agree. But like, it, I'm I'm a little floored that it's like, oh, this seems obvious. You know, instead of landing the chopper, going out and getting a guy with some great Georgia connections, great local connections um, in, in terms of managing high school recruiting, like that just seems like a really concrete, um, actionable item. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully it bears fruit. Do I love seeing the G and random capital T thing from some of the new hires on social media stuff? No, but uh, you know what? I'll I'll give the new guys a benefit of the doubt. I think especially this director of high school relations hire is really big. Yeah. I I think uh, the way that I 
heard about it from some older fans is that there was one at the beginning of Paul Johnson's tenure that came with him from Georgia Southern. And then as soon as that guy retired, the responsibility for maintaining relationships with different high schools was sort of split amongst the staff. So you didn't have one point person for a high school to call up and say, Hey, we have this person that would probably fit your program well, or some one person to say to go visit that high school and maintain that relationship um, or, or check in on those players. So um, I think this streamlines your process pretty significantly. It helps you maintain those relationships and in an organized manner where one person has primary responsibility. Um, And it's another investment, another concrete investment in the, Atlanta area that I don't think the last staff necessarily had. No, they didn't. Right. Like this is saying, Hey, we are doubling down and we are going to try to moneyball, not moneyball our way insofar as we are going to double down on our relationship with, with Georgia high schools. We're going to find talent that maybe some of the bigger schools aren't hunting, but can fit our program. Um, and bring them in and develop them and make, and like he said, be a place that people hate to play against. Yeah. I think it's important here just to note that like we, Georgia is just an insanely talented state. Like we're always going to have a very rich pool of athletic people that could play any position on the field um, on a football team, regardless of what it is. Um and it's important just to go to that high school level because at least if you're a guy showing up to a practice and people know it's from him, then people are talking about the school at practice and in the hallways and just in text and whatever with their friends and stuff like that. So it's just getting the name out there too is a huge part of it beyond at, at that young level, not just at the college level. Um, also in a sporting context and not in an academic context too. Um, the academic context will always be there, but at this, but the athletic context can be the cool other part of it that people young getting younger and younger from us that may they may not be aware of it because we haven't been good in anything huge in a long time um so the name isn't naturally out there like other big schools are yeah and i i think one other thing about georgia as a state in terms of football talent is that it's not over recruited right I, I, like i think there's a lot of discourse about florida as being everyone goes into florida right yeah every everyone from that is in like even coaches from Kentucky do really well in Florida people in um Alabama Alabama goes down to Florida people like programs as far as Minnesota go down to Florida and try to mine talent whereas Georgia is only like within the last 10 years or so had this trajectory as being a hotly recruited well uh or hotly talent producing state um and we're Seeing more and more some of these schools, especially the SEC has tried to build a fence around the Southeast, but you're seeing more and more schools, Notre Dame's coming in and pulling kids from, from Metro Atlanta. Minnesota a couple of years ago came in and pulled kids from Metro Atlanta. So you're seeing uh, more of the nation take notice. I, 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 I'm trying, I'm kind of speaking like this is a new phenomenon. It's not, it's like no. four or five <laughs> years old, but, 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 this is the competition that you have. You have more national competition and maintaining more direct relationship with those high schools than just giving them one, like one coach that has other responsibilities that to, to, to talk to is going to be more beneficial to sending uh, like 
um, not necessarily that top line of talent, but maybe that second or third line of talent your way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Like I said, I think it's kind of shocking how obvious it feels, uh, especially in terms of the, the Tim McFarlane thing. Also, for those listening over the air, if I sound a little bit stuffed, uh, I am, and I'm also a little bit hoarse because it's uh, been very rainy and I have a mold allergy. So uh, I'm going to try and limit my, you know, coughing and sneezing and and all that into the mic. Damn, I really wish I had a segue for this. If we had like a cold, uh, cold medicine sponsor, this would be a very good point to uh, throw it in there, but we don't. So I'm just going to make a very awkward transition over to men's basketball. You could say that Miami sort of sneezed this game away late versus Georgia Tech as Tech was able to pull away with a victory. Um, this was this was a very fun game, right? Tech showed a lot of grit. I know I'm usually the analytics guy, but Tech showed a lot of fight in this game to keep it very to keep it close and end up end up pulling out the w it's not something that we've seen a lot from tech over the last two years so um mr grant let's start with you while you are not sniffling what do you have on this one yeah uh first off uh if they could stop scheduling home games during my church choir practice that would be delightful um but that being said uh, i feel like georgia tech tends to get a game or two like this every year where things just kind of generally click somebody goes off and uh you know you, you surprise a team you may not have expected to beat uh Miami is very talented uh Isaiah Wong just became I believe their program's all-time leading scorer um so it is it is a high water mark for them a, a storm surge if you will but um it, it, in terms of I guess feeling due it, it kind of seems like all the pieces kind of coalescing, you know, locking down on defense, not turning over the ball too, too aggressively. Um, uh, again, people getting hot at the right time and, and locking down when they need to. Uh, and, and as Pastner said a couple of times, stopping uh, the drip from turning into a flood. So, um, you know, I, I think if we recorded this on Thursday or Friday, I'd be, you know, oh, men's basketball, they're hitting that point of the season where under Pastner, they you know, dolts around through the non-con every year and then kind of some on some level pick it up during ACC play. But uh, then then Saturday happens, so I, I don't know that I'd necessarily yeah. say that. But uh, at the time, I, I think the phrase I used was we needed a gas station snacks type of win, uh, i.e. surprise somebody. I know this was at home, but it seemed like it felt like that and we had some momentum going into a, a down FSU uh, game. But as Andy Demetra said on the broadcast, they're like 51 and six or 52 and six now after playing us uh, in their own building uh, in the last seven years against ACC foes. So again, not a not an easy place to win, but you know it, it seems like this team needs to start piling up some momentum if it wants to go somewhere. And, and Wednesday shows that they can, on some level, do that. Yeah, they have the they have that gear. Right. The gear is there to compete. And this was a ranked Miami team. The Florida State team wasn't ranked. They are like four and 11. We'll get there in a second. But this was a this was a top 15 Miami team that came into the game pretty hot. And they and tech showed that they can hang and they can compete at with some of the, the not maybe not the top line of the ACC, but that second tier. 
right? That they have that gear in them. And then we get to this FSU game and you watch that first half and you're like, okay, they're, they're continuing that momentum from the Miami game. And then you get into the second half and you, you blink and they're down by 20. Um, Mr. Purdy, what do you have on this FSU? I called it a mess in our doc debacle is also something that came up in my mind. Um, so, like, what are you – how are you feeling about this? We saw this against Virginia where I mean, they had to, went down 25-0, and then it was done. Um, and then, I mean, they have the ability not, – not the ability, but they have a penchant to just suddenly just not exist for a, a few minutes, and that's too long in the ACC. It just is a few minutes. Like, if you're not in it the whole time, you're, you're not going to make it happen. Um, that was certainly the case against Miami. They never – they never showed any stop signs of stopping being relentless. Um, and their coach was in the presser after was very, very adamant about just how good um, the defense was in that game and the adjustments they made from the Virginia game to the Miami game. Um, and FSU, I mean, it, I mean, I, I that FSU started that was a hot offensive start because Miles Kelly couldn't miss to start the game. I think it was four or four from three or something like that. But also Florida State was making their shots too. Like they were never that far behind. Um, so I think the offense clouded how poorly we were playing that game because it just it did enough for a little bit to make it a buffer, but then once it kind of came back down to earth, we saw really how how much better FSU was playing as a whole that entire game. Um, yeah, I, by the by, like I turned the game off halfway through the second half because I was like I I this already I could tell what was going on there and there wasn't going to be any rebound back from how bad it went. Right, this was a return to form. Right, it returned to bad form for for Tech after that Miami game, in which they had that dip yeah. in 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 game form and just could not recover at all. Yeah, someone's I, having I, trouble I, with the mute button. I'm trying not to sneeze into my mic. I told you. Uh, I, I think the thing that makes the Florida State loss sting a little bit more, not just the fact that they're an eh Florida State team this year. Uh, well. Oh, they're more than an F Florida State team. Let's be clear about that. The the thing that makes it sting is that Georgia Tech was winning. Miles Kelly could not miss. No one could miss. And then it it just vanished after 10 minutes. It honestly felt a lot like the LSU game at Holiday Hoops Giving um, last year where Tech comes out really strong. Uh, Everyone's clicking. Everything seems like it's working. Defense, offense, just the whole gamut and I don't know if they're tired and they don't have the conditioning or which seems silly to say, because Lance Terry played a, a full game on, on Wednesday, but Hey, maybe, maybe, you know, you can't expect the Jose Alvarado Moses, Wright 40 minutes for an entire season, strong man to come, come from everyone. Cause that, that takes a special kind of crazy. So um, who knows if it's tired or Florida state figuring out, I mean, they've got a great staff over there. So maybe they did figure some things out, but it's I'll just, note, it's just disappointing. I'll note that after the Virginia game, um, cause that was after a week of practice, um, a couple of people in the press room asked Josh about like, Hey, was the fact that y'all basically ran for a week and like did a lot of conditioning, like did that impact your performance against Virginia? And they didn't really say yes. Um, but then when Lance played all 40 against Miami, they like the first question to Lance was like, you look tired out there at the end there. And he's like, I mean, he, and he, he was like, yeah, I totally was. Um, Thankfully, he got that last three to kind of cement the deal there at the end. But, um, yeah, they, they, something something energy-wise isn't 
doesn't stick all the way there. There isn't like that emotional component that can override whatever physical condition they're 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 currently in. Um, there's that extra just mental state of just like we got this no matter what. That I think they can get there. Um, I really like the attitude of a couple of these guys on the team. I don't think they're initially a poorly uh, like a, a team with an attitude issue, um, but at times it's just it's just they're just blank in the face for a little too long. I think for me, it's it kind of comes back to the way that Pastor organizes his team, not necessarily in the tactical sense, but just he he's always kept a short bench, right? And, and I'd have to go back and look at the usage rates for the last two games, but I wouldn't be surprised to it's see him man the only play those last two games. Yeah. So uh, of course these guys are tired, right? Like, but it's like paying, it's normal too. Not... Like. I mean, I mean, some teams will unless they're killing us, we'll only play like nine, nine, ten guys, anyways, too. So it's not a huge difference of of who we're playing too, and everyone's got the same grinded schedule at this point too. So like, it's 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 just well, part me, of the course. Let me offer this, and and this might be coming from me being more of a basketball layman, but but let me offer this. Everyone plays eight guys, but what is the distribution of minutes amongst those eight guys? Right, right, right. It, are are those those bottom three or are those three bench guys getting like 15 20 minutes a game or are we operating with um or or are all of your starters in for 30 35 minutes then then what's the point of having the other three guys on the bench come in and be rotational right like it, it just doesn't it, you've eliminated that rotate like those you're playing the same number of people, but you've eliminated a rest advantage. Yeah. If, if your starters are still playing 30 something minutes. I pulled out um, the bo- the final box scores for the Miami and Virginia games. Uh, we played eight men in both games um, in terms of bench minutes against Virginia. Miles Kelly played 28, Javon 22, Davon eight against Miami. Javon played 13, Kyle Sturdivant eight and Davon 21. Um, who was out of the lineup? Someone, Someone switch? Oh, I don't. Right, anyways, so bench minutes wise, some okay. So they're some, getting pretty significant time on average. Yeah. yeah. So what uh, about the start? Like, what is the average minutes numbers of the starters? Starters against Virginia, it was in the mid twenties ish. Debo played the most at thirty three. Jalen played the least at twenty one, and then Rodney Howard, Lance Terry, and Kyle were all within twenty seven to twenty nine um, against Miami. Was a big variation. Jalen Moore didn't even uh, didn't even play half the game. He played nineteen thirty six. Lance played the whole game, and then Rodney played twenty six. And Debo and Miles both played thirty five or more. Um, Davon Smith got a decent amount of time there. So, I mean, you have I mean, it's also dependent, totally determined on like who's hot, who's not, what you needed in a given moment at a certain in a certain game as well. So tactics, I think, yeah. Tactics wise, that changes a lot of things. Um, Lance was just working the whole game, like. He was critical out there. Uh, he drew. I mean, he was drawing fouls. He did. He was he lived with twenty four points. Like he did everything that was needed. And without him, I mean, it was going to go well, not go well. Also, I think also he had to play more because Kyle Sturdivant wasn't really working out. Um, so in a lot of ways, that was a seven man game for Tech, less than an eight man. And both these, I mean, Davon played eight against Virginia. So it's seven plus someone for a little bit at, in spots. Yeah. So maybe. So maybe it is a con- more of a conditioning thing, like you're saying, like. You have a pretty good – you have a pretty reasonable rotation of bench players. They're playing a reasonable number of minutes. But if you're still not able to keep pace for all 40, 
um, uh, with all eight guys, then yeah, then there's then there's potentially a conditioning issue, right? Jake, if you have something, I have one more thing. Unless you have a note. Yeah, I mean, my take was just going to be that it, it seems like we needed a, a momentum building win, and, and we got it early in the week. And I, I just think it feels like we're in the same place we started, right? It, it's Georgia Tech. And how many times have we heard this before? Some offensive success, and then is really cold for a while, or just doesn't take advantage, or you know, um, again, part of my color is being informed by having listened on the radio. Love, love Andy and and uh, the gang there. They do a phenomenal job. So, but that does kind of you know, I, I didn't necessarily see every play with my own eyes, even though I, you know, listened to. <laughs> yeah. all but the first 15 minutes of the first half of the Miami game. But, you know, it, it's just, it's tough. It seems like it's a lot of the same stuff we've been saying. And I, <laughs> I, I'm glad that it seems like there's a lot of talent on the team. And I think Pastner's right when he says he has more than five starters. But, man, uh, I don't know. Just seems like we can't put it together consistently. Yeah. And that's did disappointing. You all, did you all here in the Miami press conference who we attributed the win to or why they won. I did not listen to it twice, but I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Mrs. Cabrera. Yeah. 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 The the power of positivity book thing. Yes. He read the power of positivity and then was like all in on it made it a thing in practice and whatnot and like that was the first thing he brought up in the press conference like he's like energy vibes after the Virginia game like it was all that um yeah that, that is was such a pass oh. the cabreras were a significant factor in winning the miami game <laughs> you could say when that the president a of the universe when the first lady of the university is the first person you're crediting in beating a top 15 i don't know if it was the first person she, he credited to but there was a lot of time devoted to talking about that book and what it did to his to how he approached teaching the team that week that you can write a book on this man's press conferences yeah i I do want to say um i i talked to jack a little bit on the side or mentioned it to him uh jack was in the press conference i think all that being said about the fsu game i really liked how um miles kelly answered the question that you asked uh and and it does make me feel confident that they're they're prepping well uh or at least doing the things that one might expect them to do um jack i don't know if you want to elaborate on that at all since you're the one that asked the question but yeah, i at least came away with uh wait i I should probably say what the question was i, re- I mean I, I remember it <laughs> jack go for it yeah no the question i had was so I, during the virginia game i noticed in the first half they got every corner three imaginable and then counted and it was 11 in total um and then miami had two and so like okay that's interesting they either figured something out or miami didn't scout it and so i asked miles about it and he they were like they made a concerted effort and this was his answer like he made a concerted they they had made a concerted effort to expand their wing defense um and kind of shut down the corners a little bit more and miami didn't have that shot Um, they took a lot of threes but they just didn't take them in the corner it's an interesting look into into how they're preparing right It, it, it like you said it does signal that they are noting what mistakes they're making and then accounting for them in a future, uh, in a in a future game, immediately two ga- like two three days later, like it and it turned it, it made a huge difference, and they held. I forgot the guy's name at Miami, who's their leading scorer, but he made one bucket Long. all game. Like, in they they shut him down. They had looks. Miami had looks. They were just missed. They missed a lot of shots that they should have made. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong about missing ones they should have made. And and I think that's that's the difference, right? When when Tech's defense is super effective, see, um, I, I would argue it's been a, a hallmark of the entire Passner era, the NIT season uh, where they uh, went to the NIT championship comes to mind there too. But a, an effective defense is really critical. And, and, uh, and you know, we're, we're just in year two of not having the all-world uh, center type situation to anchor that. So I think it, that's kind of why we've been seeing a little hit or miss there too. But anyways, not to, not to belabor any points here. Uh, just to move us along, next game is Tuesday, the 10th at 7 p.m. at Notre Dame. That'll be in South Bend uh, on ACC Network. Notre Dame, if you are curious, 8-8, eight and 0-5 eight, in conference. So Mike Bray and the gang also looking for a victory. They are on a three-game losing streak. Uh, we'll be back to talk about the women's side of Zelnak Center in just a few moments after this short break. You know what, Akshay? I had a comment about Mike Bray and the gang, but, you know, that's in the past, and we don't dwell in the past here at Scions of the Southland. What we do dwell in is comfortable uh, T-shirts and apparel. Uh, as you all know, Section 103 uh, is a proud partner for this fine podcast uh, to be partnering with Find Manufacturings is a real treat. Uh, as you know, you can find them at section103.com, at section103 on Twitter. And as you also know, there's free shipping on orders over 70 bucks every day. Uh, orders have uh, recommenced their shipping. Uh, it is a, a small business. So, uh, you know, those are a little bit intermittent at times, but they're back out there uh, sending out all the great tech apparel that you know and love. I wore my tech uh, full zip with the baseball styled uh, lettering that uh, to the ice rink yesterday when I was going skating and uh, found it very comfortable for slightly chilly weather and uh, also looking good out in out in public. So definitely go check them out uh, at section103.com. Welcome back to Signs of the Southland for January 8th. Let's skip over to the women's side of the Zelnak Center. They put together two very interesting games, albeit two losses this week one to louisville 55 to 63 yes i'm reading it the european way and one at wake 51 or 50 to 51 let's start with the louisville game i felt like this was a pretty winnable game on paper and even how it played out despite Haley van lith being Haley van lith wouldn't you say uh as for Winnable game. I, I would definitely agree. Uh, Tech really hung around essentially all night. Um, HBL is a phenomenal player. Actually, when I was up at Louisville, the only person I saw more of in the bookstore with with merch was Lamar Jackson. So, you know, Lamar Jackson and, and HBL, number one and number two. Um, but, you know, Tech, uh, Tech struggles to be consistent, I think is a charitable way to say that. Uh, remarkable how often we say that about basketball. But uh neither neither here nor there we've got uh uh, uh like you said a, a winnable game uh and you know it it's tough when when basketball is a game of runs and and you're not you're not scoring i think probably the uh the most notable thing about this year especially without lorella kubai is there's no safety outlet right in the middle to just give it to your really tall uh, really effective center for for two uh and, and i think you know with with the floor having to be 
spread uh, and the office looking different offense looking different. Uh, this game of runs is something that's definitely affected tech more. And I think that's pretty clear, especially in both games this week, honestly. And we'll talk about wake in just a minute. Uh, one of the things that you noticed, Mr. Purdy, was Louisville applying a pretty textbook and very effective full court press a bunch of times in this game, especially during the second quarter in which tech had a, ton of turnovers that resulted out of the press want to expand on that a little bit more it's been a consistent problem this whole year um i mean i remember from the first few games like this was just the thing that this team wants to play fast they said as much they want to play as fast as they can um and yet as soon as they get doubled in the backcourt they just cripple under pressure sometimes they figured it out in some cases to get the passing down but it just doesn't happen really like it and it notably with Bianca and Cam on the floor with the freshman lineup it's been different there was one possession where Tony just bull rushed her way up the floor and just got out of it like just just bodied her way through which is like kind of what you should do there um if you can and not and avoid a charge um and Louisville just took they took advantage of it tech if when when pressured in the backcourt responds poorly and has all season um Today against Wake Forest, they only did it twice. So I and and it worked the one it worked the first time, it didn't work the second time. Um, but there's something there that they have not figured out fully of how to escape that. At least with Bianca and Cam on the floor when they're kind of ISO balling, but not really like they're doing a, a real point guard situation. Um, when the freshman crews on the floor, it looks a lot different. It looks a lot different. And that brings up a good point, actually. Uh, as one of the things that we noticed in the Louisville game. Swartz and Jackson were on the bench to start. Uh, Nowero and Dunn were on the court. It was Dunn's first career start. And it was the same lineup for this game versus Wake. Let's talk about that a little bit. How did you see Tech's tactics get adjusted for having both of the freshmen on the floor, Mr. Purdy? Cam and Bianca are both, when they have their shot, they're going to shoot kind of people. Um, and they're good and, they, they, and they're good shooters in their own rights. So that's how they've earned, they've earned that ability to do that and I think it's a big part of why this office was built the way it was let's get them open looks get them shooting early and often to just rack up as many points as you can um and it kind of worked I mean we didn't I mean, we played some good teams in the front half of the year we beat Belmont twice we beat Michigan State like there were some good teams that we got through or that they got through um and then it wasn't really working and as soon as ACC ball started that just wasn't the case anymore um, and when Inez Noero got on the floor, she would hit threes, and she would hit them at a good clip, um, like 44% or something like that. Kara Dunn is very energetic, not the best on rebounding or defense along with Noero, but they provide a different kind of spark that's um, – it's just it creates a more cohesive offense than Bianca or Cam did where you're just looking to get them the ball and just go from there. Um, it was it, it's, There's far less hero ball going on. And Tony Morgan's kind of fit with both styles in terms of like being a distributor getting rebounds and, and can w- work around the rim as well. Um, and so when Bianca and Cam are not on, like they've been the last two games, their shooting percentage the last two games has been under 30%. The rest of the team shot 43%. Uh, and that includes this certain that with these freshmen starting lineup. Um, so something, if something works a little bit better here, hopefully it's just a cold streak for Bianca and Cam. That's my hope and prayer there because Cam is still one of the best pure shooters I've seen in women's basketball play for Tech in recent memory. Um, so, I don't know. There's something there, – there, it's two different styles of offense there. The defense probably is better with the older players on the floor. But, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. You have to make that trade-off, 
right? You have to, you have to figure out and say like, Hey, am I willing to get a little bit more messy defensively with a little inexperience, but get more offensive firepower? And this is something that uh, the, the commentators on today's weight game also talked about, right? These teams that we were watching were the, I think the both bottom five in the league or maybe bottom two in the league in terms of uh, scoring offense, but they were both top five in scoring defense. Yeah. Right. So you have obviously not advanced stats. I didn't pull, I didn't pull my advanced stats guy bit, but like it, it's just, you have to be able to evaluate that trade off at certain points of a game. And I think this is something that, again, it paid off for vast stretches of, it paid off for almost the entirety of the of the weight game. I, yeah. I think we'll talk about the last couple of possessions in a second here. Um, and it it would have paid off, I think, in the Louisville game at least with the way that they tweaked the lineups and the way that they played. But Tech just went ice cold in the middle, right? If you look at the game flow chart, there are two massive horizontal lines in that second quarter, um, split by one little like four point scoring run. Um, yeah. So just they have to be they have to focus on. It sounds so basic but they have to focus on putting the ball into the orange hoop. Yeah, and I'll note, and, after after the Florida State game, which even though was just a horrible, horrible loss, um, I still I asked now, because Inez had a good game, though. Like, she played a she played a far smarter, far more tactile, or not tactile, um, she just looked, she just looked really good on the court. She, she, she was playing a different game out there, and I asked her, did this did outright, did this earn Inez more playing time? And... He was like, who knows, maybe, but then immediately talked about, well, she's still got to defend on the other side of the floor, which I think in context, after they had allowed 99 points, like, that's just the thought in the mind of any coach there is like, how the hell did we allow 99 points in a 40-minute game? Um, so, and that, but then three days later, rolls out the all-freshman, the nearly all-freshman lineup. So uh, something clicked there that was worth trying out that was that was different. Many are saying that Inez Nuero is Georgia Tech's best central midfielder. The uh, the eight ten hybrid that was promised, I'm told. Uh, Mr. Grant, let's talk about that last, like the last couple of possessions down the stretch in in this awake game. Um, very, very frustrating end to this one, I would say. Do we have to talk about them? <laughs> uh, I'm making no. you, unfortunately. I have a point after this, but keep going. It, it, in all seriousness, um, this was a very back-and-forth game. Um, you know, never too out of hand one way or the other, and, and Georgia Tech did have a lead late. Um, they had a lead late in in, in the first half as well. Um, it, but when it came down to it, Wake scored two. Uh, they uh, were able to draw an and one late. Uh, there was several missed free throws, including uh, with Cam Schwartz getting fouled with the opportunity not only to shoot to tie, but to take the win. Uh, she missed both. Uh, Tech fouled again. Uh, they missed both uh, on the wake end. And then with two seconds, uh, they did have the opportunity to shoot and score. But uh, despite getting a, a reasonable uh, I would say shot. I, I have no no shame in taking. You got to take what you can get, and I don't think they were going to get much better than that. Uh, right into traffic and uh, and no dice in what would have been the game winner. So uh, again, Georgia Tech with the chance to win, but just really, uh, I, I would say generally kind of sloppy. Um, definitely not the prettiest finish uh, I've seen to end half. It was it was rough. 
uh, it was rough. Uh, Mr. Purdy, you get the last word before we move on to talk about their schedule this week. This is a very young – I mean, it's going to the freshman means there's a lot of new things that have to get figured out. Like this is, in some ways, going back to square one and restarting this team in a lot of ways. And um, that – and I think in those growing pains, the big one that's come out to me is getting the ball out before the shot clock's going off. Um, the Louisville game, Oh, that happened, that happened multiple times. Louisville game had three – violations I can remember and a couple just heaves because they just couldn't get something but at least were aware of it. Today I think had one. Wake Forest had two, I think. But then at the very end there it was just like just didn't get the shot off. And it wasn't a freshman. I should I should know. I mean she was in tears immediately after she didn't get that shot off. So like she knew. Like it was I I, I don't blame her for not knowing the situation or anything like that. Um but it's I mean still you get you just gotta get the shot off sometime whenever you can. Um so that's been the that's been the trade off here with, with the new people is it may not be the fastest offense, at least milks clock, but sometimes they just can't get themselves in positioning. This week's game versus Miami is going to be really interesting. That is Thursday night at 8 p.m. That'll be on ACC Network Extra. I believe that is a home game as well. Miami took out number nine Virginia Tech today. So I, I think the first message that I sent in our Slack about that was that we are in danger. <laughs> um, but We'll see. Uh, I, I think there's there's some room for improvement, obviously, from the Wake and the and the Louisville games. Um, and Miami is clearly a team capable of beating some of that top line talent in the uh, in, in the ACC. But you know, if Tech is going to play with that all freshman lineup, they're going to play that same sort of slow triple option Iowa basketball stuff uh, where they milk the clock. I am, I'm not cautiously optimistic. Is where I'm willing to put the line. I think uh, that's sort of where I am with this this team at this season. It's like it's a it's it's been one of those years, you know. Let's move to Macaulay Aquatic Center. Friday featured a a, a weird double meet situation: a one versus SCAD and one versus Texas A and M. I've maintained this for this podcast almost almost five years old at this point, which is horrifying to think about. Uh, we're only 150 episodes episode. too. Yeah, um, but I think every one of those five seasons we've swum against SCAD, which is an NAIA team. Um, I have no idea why we do it to this day. Uh, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I will leave it at that. Um, and then we did get two SEC teams, so uh, Texas a&M and Auburn on Saturday. The good news is that these are streamed uh, on ACC Network again. I was not seeing that uh, a while back, but uh, the bad news is, is that Tech lost uh, to, to both teams. Uh, I will note uh, very importantly that Auburn is ranked 9 and 19th uh, on the men's and women's sides. So uh, not like they were swimming against teams that were not very good. I think uh, one of the Texas A&M teams is ranked. I can't remember which side uh, I forgot to write it down when I looked because I'm dumb. Uh, in terms of the Auburn meets, good podcast again. Again, nine nine and nineteen. Uh, they're 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 quite good. The men's score was two thirteen to eighty seven, and the women two eighteen to eighty two. That's a little bit cleaner of a comp since it's just uh, just Auburn uh, rather than rather than the triangle meet. Um, I will note diving has long been a standout, I think, for us. Uh, you may remember uh, Kami Hidalgo, recent graduate, uh, Ruben Lechuga, who I believe is uh, still around, but I didn't see his name on on the results when I was looking for 
zone diving records, things like that, just to to pull out. But um, we did have Anna Bradskew, uh, Carmen Woodruff, and uh, Elijah Clier, Clear Clier, uh, finish in, in zone t- territory. So that's good, at least. Um, other than that, like I said, pretty pretty Auburn skewed. Um, that's kind of been a theme of some of our more ranked meets this year, and it's it's been a rebuilding year for them in the pool. Rebuilding in the pool is just a very interesting turn of turn of words. How does that work? You know, that does remind sense. me of the time recently they had a huge, I guess three, four years ago now, that they had a huge scaffolding in the middle of one of the two pools because they're doing work on the, the vents. So usually, the, I mean, when, when I said building in the pool, that's kind of what I thought of. Haha, very funny. But no. Um, we have to make some sort of non sequitur. The uh, the Texas A&M and, and Auburn situation scoring-wise were, were mm. They were quite bleak, but, um, you know, uh, we did see Mert Kilvus also win two events uh, while Batar Unlu won the 200 free. Uh, so that's that's pretty good to see. And I can't remember the losses. last time. I can't remember the last time I've seen Georgia Tech beat an SEC school in the 50 freestyle. Uh, so Anna Hadjiluiozo, that's tough. I apologize. I know that's not right. Um, but uh you know, the Tech women winning a sprint event against an SEC school, uh, no less the 50 free. That's not bad. Um, I mean, we got to we gotta win a lot more events, but I mean, the, <laughs> the 50 free is usually an event that uh, the, the best of the best can throw, you know, eight, eight, 10 kids at you that are all blazing speed. So, hey, that's that's something at least. Let's move over to the tennis courts. Let's move over to Ken Byers. Women's tennis at least has their schedule out. They are 25th in the ITA rankings, the latest ITA rankings. I believe the first one of the spring season. Let's do our old friend, the schedule reading. Mr. Grant, do you have it open and do you want to do the honors? I do, and I will because uh, I am great at reading the tennis schedule. I do this every year. So Can you do I've this in a low, gravelly voice like Stephen Godfrey, well, your favorite see, journalist? Should I just like rub my hand over the mic, you know, to make it nice and scratchy? Um, no, ASMR. Uh, Science does ASMR. Carolina kickoff to start the year. South Carolina has been a very uh, comparable team to us the last few years. I had a very memorable NCAA win on their courts a couple years back. So good to see them. Uh, we'll, we'll be up there three days. Uh, usual mid-state or midweek type stuff. Uh, we do have to head to Berkeley for the ITA kickoff weekend. Tech is not hosting that this year. The women have hosted that for quite a long time, but they're top 25, not top 16. So um, that's how that works. Uh, for those that don't know how those all get selected, it's a whole weird draft process that I do not have time to go into right now. We've Just also know, definitely done an episode on it. We have. I don't know which episode it was, but it was like 30 minutes of us like puzzling over this whole draft. Thing. It, it's very strange, but at least it's more public than certain things the NCAA does. Uh, Georgia Tech does have a interesting road swing uh, where they'll go up to Champaign-Urbana to – uh, face off against Illinois on a Friday and also grab Northwestern. Both of those schools are pretty good at tennis, particularly Illinois. Uh, Illinois has been very much nationally ranked of recent years, and they have a great facility. They've hosted a couple of the ITA, you know, indoor type, indoor type events. So it'll be great to uh, square up with them. Um, if they win the ITA kickoff, the uh, national team indoors are up at Washington in Seattle this year. So uh, may or may not be going to that. Uh, and 
they were they'll also host Gonzaga, which is a new name on there. And weirdly, it's not preemptively scheduled in Spokane. It's Gonzaga coming to visit Tech uh, on a weekend where they also play uh, UGA in Athens. So double dose of Bulldogs, very odd. Uh, and after that, they're into the ACC slate. Uh, in terms of the ACC slate, uh, it's you know twelve uh, matchups. You're not gonna. I, I guess it's not twelve. Is it twelve? I can't remember. Did somebody else cut a tennis team? Anyways, we get everyone who's still playing tennis uh, at least once. I know Pitt recently cut theirs. I can't remember if anyone else did. So it's, it, you know, it's either 13 or 12. Uh, UCF will be a midweeker in there as well, uh, impostering in the middle of the ACC slate. Uh, and then after that, the ACC tennis championships are back up in uh, Cary, North Carolina. So uh, no more Rome. But uh, but yeah, that's... Uh, that's women's tennis. I know that was kind of long and winded, but basically the things to watch for are really the entire ACC slate because almost everyone is really, really good. Uh, Georgia Tech's been at the top of the pile. Uh, obviously, the the UGA uh, in Athens is going to be tough. They they are a pretty good tennis team and a little scary to play, but you know that's why you play good opponents. And then uh, the Illinois and ITA kickoff weekends to circle those as well i believe the men have dropped theirs as well because i saw that they have a a match against presbyterian uh coming up as they well. did not so put it on instagram which is where i got the women's schedule from so now i will be checking twitter it, so it, it's up uh the the men are doing this interesting thing where they already have their non-con in and uh have loaded up on some wins which i think will be good for them because this is a team that's been uh, needing just a couple more like W's in the W column, not like strength of schedule to really put themselves as a more consistent tournament team of late. Uh, to this example, they open the season with um, Furman, Presbyterian twice, Wofford, and Alabama State. Uh, that is a great opportunity to get some wins. Uh, so I actually really like, uh, really like seeing that. And then their ITA kickoff is out at Stanford. So they're in the field for ITA kickoff. Uh, that's a 64 team field. So really good to see, really good to see them in the mix. Uh, Stanford's tough and whoever else they play out there will probably be tough no matter if it's for uh, a slot at indoors or, you know, just a, a, a con consolation type type game. They'll get Georgia state. Uh, they have a pretty heavy sec uh, slate as always Auburn, South Carolina, Georgia are, are pretty typical uh, appearers on there uh, and they'll also get the citadel at home before opening up the acc slate again they play everyone once before the acc championships also in carry so uh keep that uh that acc stuff circled those are going to be your big um your big matches there's there's a lot more going on I, i'd say on the men's schedule just in terms of that non-con action so some something to keep in mind let's round out with a couple other notes mr purdy Give me some construction corner update. Construction corner. Um, we talked last week about we were sure the rec garage was done. It is done. You can go walk up to it. All the you can like sit next to it. All the stuff is done around it. Um, we don't know when the actual like when the rec goes. The in grand there. opening is in March. Yeah, so the rec's not actually scheduled in there. Right? Mid March. Yeah, so the rec's yeah, not actually it there. It's just a building that's empty right now that will soon be used. My. So. I guess my understanding is that the rec will not be using the space officially until it is actually grand opened. Uh, we also, fun fact, we now know the person, the anonymous donor that actually paid for the whole place. So there's that. 
We do. I don't have the picture in front of me. I don't have my phone, so I can't. Something I Wallace, class of 68. Something like that. And then also I was walking around campus yesterday. There's just a large pile of sand in, bet- in the walkway between Coons and Skiles uh, with Psychology Building and the, the LMC building. Um, they didn't take out any of the concrete, like all that's still there for the, for the staircase walkway. There's just a lot of sand there. I can't tell if they're like in like some sort of one of those excavator things. I can't tell if they're like taking out a tree or like replanting some stuff or something, but it's just a it, it's it's caution taped off and everything. So something's going on there. Um, beyond that, nothing huge. I had mentioned in the summer that they were doing stuff in front of the CRC. Um, that all that fencing's gone. I think it was just all underground pipe work or something like that. Um, there is a pipe going in in the walkway. Like that main stretch on the bottom of Kolk by the new whatever it is white sculpture that leads you up to um, the uh, the Campanile Fountain that is blocked off right now, and they took out a segment of the walkway that there's piping going in under there as well. So some that is some big walkways are currently not usable as classes start when you listen to this today. Moving over to club sports, Mr. Grant, give me the latest update on hockey. Yeah, hockey opened up their kind of short-looking spring slate uh, with a uh, 2-0, yes, 2-0 uh, weekend, uh, 6-2 and 8-5 wins over Kennesaw State. So that gives them a 14-7 advantage aggregate. Uh, of note, Matthew Connolly becomes Tech's all-time leading scorer. Uh, I know he's been around for uh, a bunch of years, so great to see him notch that achievement as well. Uh, the Savannah Hockey Classic is up next. Uh, they'll play Florida State and UGA. That's a really fun environment. Uh, definitely, if you are looking for a last-minute trip to Savannah, consider that. Uh, that moves them to 8-10-1-1 one, one at the moment. So uh, two wins next weekend would uh, put them not just back at 500, but in possession of the Southeast's most coveted Cup, uh, the fourth team involved there will be UF. They play the interstate and then the interconference rivalries there. So UF will take FSU and UGA as well, but we will not see them. They will not see each other, et cetera, et cetera. You get the point. Last couple of notes, softball and baseball previews. Those seasons are coming up in February. We'll have a couple of notes, a couple of interviews uh, from our uh, dear friend Jack here uh, momentarily. Uh, no other sports active right now other than the ones you mentioned uh mr grant to close us out you have a question from your bevy of statistics yes so uh seeing as my acc results page was getting a little bit stale i decided to incorporate a new tab into my little my little sheet of fun Uh, in this tab we collate every acc title that's ever been awarded in every sport so there's really a lot going on here but today, my question, gents, is very simple. Who is the most historically, uh, we'll say, unlucky team across all sports in the ACC? There's no waiting for football or basketball in terms of what is uh, fortune or unfortunate in terms of in terms of this. Just give me by rate, as in opportunities to win conference titles versus the actual number that they've won. Which of the 15 members of the ACC? is the most snake bitten. See, my really... instinct is to say NC State, but I know of their record in cross country. So I don't want to say NC State. My inclination is to pick Notre Dame with all 100 years they've been in the ACC, dating back to 2000, what, 17? Um, <laughs> my actual answer is Wake Forest. Wow. Uh, uh, Wake Forest is is a good 
answer. Um, I, I will say by one metric, they are the most snake bitten, but I okay. personally don't think that that's the right way to judge uh, get just because that metric is surplus or deficit of titles, right? So mm-hmm. the uh, winning a title or you know, sharing would be half, but winning would be plus one or losing would be one over the number of teams competing. By that metric, Wake Forest uh, is the most snake bitten. They are 58 titles down, if you will, in the hole, uh, which is by far the most. The team that I uh, identified here as the answer is the second in this category. And just the other, the other ones just knock my socks off. So I, I had to pick them. Uh, again, just to kind of round out the Wake Forest note, Wake Forest has 55 conference titles across all sports. They compete in 18 sports currently, have competed in 999 total ACC seasons. Uh, so one would expect them to have about 113 and a half titles. So that's that's our context. Akshay, on NC State, um, you were correctly pointed out that they have had tremendous success in women's cross country. And I think men's too, but their swim and dive also floats them way, way up towards the top. So despite their uh, historic curse in not just baseball and men's basketball and football, uh, they they have lots and lots of non-rev things to fall back on. They have 140 titles won across 184 seasons for a rate, a success rate of 11.8%, which really is not that bad. Uh, And they are only down in surplus or deficit titles by 0.75%. Uh, so that's really rather delightfully mediocre, and I would say delightfully on brand. However, the answer to this question, I've drawn it out long enough. In 423 seasons of competition since 2004-5, I forget which one, when they joined the ACC, they have oh, won God. one conference title across all the 25 sports in which they compete. This is a success rate of... So 0.002. This is Boston College. Oh, God. One very, very, very lonely men's soccer title that they won in like 07. So they got in, won the one, haven't done anything since. They are expected to have won by this model. (laughs) 41.03 conference titles, putting them negative 40.027 in the hole oh my goodness look one one soccer title that's called the matt ryan effect right there it is is. he just lost the conference title game twice like i don't i don't see what the you know no they'd only be 38 in the hole if he had won both of those so there you go Um, can they can they get demoted uh, to accb like do we have a second tier here like i mean can we this i think uh once we expand to 20 teams that that seems like that seems like a reason we got to do a ten and ten here somehow. Yeah, I, I will say they are they have the lowest success rate by far. Only coming close uh, to them is South Carolina from when they were in the conference, who finished with a success rate of one point seven percent, which is like nine times better uh, yeah. than than Boston College's uh, success rate. Uh, also in the cellar with them are Pitt, Miami, and kind of surprisingly. Uh, Louisville, and then there's kind of a jump, and you'll get to the Wake Tech, Syracuse, and Virginia Tech tier. So, very interesting to see how that stuff shakes out. Nine times is also about the amount that South Carolina's TV revenue went up when they left the ACC, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Mr. Grant, I think that about wraps it up for us today. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you take us home? Yeah, uh, as always, uh, you know where to find us. You can find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are distributed. That's uh, 
you know, Spotify, Apple, you know, rate and review if you're really feeling led. Uh, I don't usually plug that, but I usually forget. So there you go. Uh, in terms of other places to find us and our friends, you can find Section 103 at Section 103 on Twitter and Section103.com. You can find the site uh, at FromTheRumbleSeat.com. Uh, articles get posted with these podcasts every week. You can comment there, uh, follow along for the rest of the gang's great content that they put out. Uh, you can email us at FromTheRumbleSeat at gmail.com. We really read those comments, those emails, and the replies to at FTRS blog on Twitter. Uh, and, and we work to incorporate that feedback into the show. So if anything comes to mind, please, uh, by all means, let us know. You can find Jack at Jack Nicholas. You can find me at JakeGrant98 on Twitter. And you can also find From the Rumble Seat on the Meta Platforms Facebook uh, and Instagram at From the Rumble Seat. As always, thanks for bearing with us. Good night, good luck, and go Jackets. Oh,